and welcome, welcome, welcome to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve. I host your show each week as we get into the mechanics of what makes the political system here in the United States function. And we have a jam-packed show uh, this week, actually, just as a, a full disclosure. Uh, the show this week is going to run longer than our normal hour. Uh, part of the reason is we have a lot of material to cover, and due to a technological breakdown in last week's recording, I was not able to get the show prepared in time, so we had to run a repeat. And uh, we're going to make up for that this week and cover material that I wanted to cover last week as well as new material uh, for this week. So, that being said, let's dive right in, okay? Uh, first off, let's do the headlines uh, looking at the coronavirus COVID 19. So, three months in, and we are just shy of 2 million uh, cases reported in the last three months. And we are just under 110,000 people who have perished from the COVID 19 illness. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the impact of this uh, later on in the show, but I just wanted to uh, point out those numbers at the top because we do that every week and just wanted to keep you guys up to date. Uh, the second top headline is uh, this past Friday, former vice president and current presidential nominee uh, Joe Biden secured the 1,991 uh, delegates he needs to uh, control and own the Democratic candidacy for president officially uh, when the convention happens in August. And, you know, we now have an official Democratic nominee uh, to campaign against the incumbent president, Donald Trump. So we will keep track of that and keep you updated as to what's going on in the political world uh, about that. And in fact, we're going to talk some more in this show about Joe Biden and one of the key components of his platform, specifically the agenda for uh, black America that he has posted on his website. Uh, but wanted to get into the uh, news from the last uh, 10 days or so and going to ask uh, your indulgence. This show's probably going to run a little bit longer, as I said, and uh, it's necessary because I really, really want to cover uh, this material. So with that being said, I'm going to ask that my Republican friends and independents who vote Republican and those who are Trump supporters, uh, if you guys would indulge me and just take a knee, I want to speak specifically to the Democrats out there and the independents who lean Democratic and those who uh, are, you know, in support of Democratic efforts to uh, win the presidency and uh, take control of the government. So with that being said, I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about a uh, news item that came out uh, more than a week ago. And again, I intended to cover it in last week's show, but due to a technology failure on my end, uh, was not able to record that week. So just to, to recap, uh, several celebrities, including Sean Diddy Combs, Ice Cube, Charlemagne the God, and several others, came out with a proposal for the black people or people of color in 
this country to withhold their vote uh, in the upcoming presidential election until you know now candidate Joe Biden uh, comes out with a definitive agenda for black America. Now, you know, one, Joe Biden has that plan. It's on his website. Uh, it runs about 35 pages and covers you know, a wide variety of topics. But you know, more to the point, uh, the, the idea of you know, holding our vote hostage, i.e. not voting uh, for the Democratic ticket, uh, really is a laudable idea. You know, it's a, from a strategic point, it is something that does have value and could have influence. The problem is, in my opinion, that we are not in the position yet where we can withhold our vote. Uh, one needs to only look back to the 2016 election where a huge number of uh, voters, uh, in, in some estimates as many as 100 million voters, stayed away from the election because they did not like uh, either the Democratic candidate for president, Hillary Clinton, or the Republican presidential candidate at the time, Donald Trump. Uh, it would be one thing if we had, you know, anywhere near an equal seat at the table where, you know, our vote and our block of votes, you know, was, was definitively the weight that got things done. However, we're not there yet. If we had that equal seat, then we could strike a bargain to get what we want by setting our support as the price. So as I said, we're not there yet. Uh, you know, in, in addition, this current president has shown us through word and deed the current leadership does not care about the poor, disenfranchised, and people of color beyond what he can, you know, leverage in order to get himself reelected. Uh, what is clear is that the collective security and opportunities for the aforementioned groups are dependent on regime change in the U.S. administration. What's also clear, given the outcome of the impeachment trial last year, that the only way left to effect the change we need is at the ballot box. Uh, holding our vote, you know, which thousands of people sacrificed and died to obtain and preserve as a bargaining chip in a political negotiation not only runs the risk of failing to effect the change we so desperately want, it really is a self-suppression tactic. And there are, are a lot of groups and organizations out there, including the Republican Party, uh, that work very hard day in, day out to suppress our vote. So by us taking efforts to also suppress the, the vote, we actually, in my opinion, are playing into the Republican playbook of keeping the Democratic vote low so that the Republicans have a better chance of winning. Um, you know, and, and as I mentioned, Joe Biden has put forward a plan for black America, and you know, it includes, you know, among other uh, discussions, the following specific bullet points. And we'll go into these you know, in the segment where I talk about this plan in detail. But basically, just to include it in this argument, the uh, plan includes and advance the economic mobility of African Americans and close the racial wealth and income gaps. Uh, another point, expand access to high quality education and tackle racial inequity in our education system. Uh, Joe Biden wants to make far reaching investments in ending health disparities by race. 
He is intent on strengthening America's commitment to justice and making the right to vote and the right to equal protection real for African Americans. And he's also going to address environmental justice. So, you know, while this plan is not all-encompassing, it does provide attention to some key element. You know, and, and if you look in comparison as to what the Republicans and the current administration has done to appeal to the black community in the 2016 campaign by seeking the black vote, and, you know, if you look back at, at statements he made in 2016, you know, he spoke specifically to the black community, urging them to vote for him, uh, summoning up by saying, you know, what have you got to lose uh, with no substantive content, uh, concepts or details. And through the, the three plus years of his presidency, Donald Trump has lived down to that low level by eviscerating programs that help the poor through racist rhetoric, overzealous laws and enforcement actions that have targeted minorities in this country and substantially ignored the COVID uh, pandemic, which disproportionately has affected black people. You know, and if we look across the last uh, couple of months, you know, specifically with the COVID-19 pandemic and you know, with the reactions from the administration, to the unrest and protest that has surfaced due to the, the murder at the hands of police of George Floyd, you, know, you can see clear evidence of the fact that the current administration really is not uh, genuine in its interest for you know, protecting and uplifting people of color, poor and disenfranchised in this country. Now, you, know, you might consider that you know, it's controversial statements on my part, so be it. Uh, but you have to take a look and, and look at the big picture of things that Donald Trump has done since his term in president, as president to see that there is an underlying lack of consideration for the, the least uh, favored of us in this country, the poor the disenfranchised, people of color, you know, uh, immigrants, and so forth. Uh, some of the things that you know Trump has done since he has become president is he has gone in, on an absolute rampage of repealing uh, Obama-era policies that specifically assisted you know, the aforementioned groups, the most vulnerable groups in this country. Uh, he repealed the equal pay rule. Uh, rescinded a plan by the Obama administration that would have taken effect in March of 2018 designed to increase pay transparency and diminish pay gaps. You know, clearly, you know, something that has been discussed in detail and with great energy over the last couple of years. Uh, he backed the United States out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Now, granted, that, that partnership had some flaws to it, but they were things that could have been corrected under this administration rather than just simply, you know, back away, walk, get up from the table and walk away from it. Uh, he has been an outspoken advocate for restrictions and repeal of elements of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, also known as DACA program. Uh, this program also was launched by Obama in 2012 and it offers you know, certain groups of undocumented immigrants uh, the ability to have a clear 
path to citizenship in this country uh, based on the fact that they were brought here you know, as young children and really without uh, choice by their parents and have since gone on to achieve many, many uh, things such as college educations and uh, you know, employment and tax paying and in some cases even political office holders are members of the DACA group. Uh, he also walked away from the Paris uh, Accord you know, on you know, climate control and carbon emissions. Uh, he has removed the United States as a participant in the Iran nuclear deal, which has led directly to Iran's resurgence of their nuclear weapon program and their uranium purification efforts. Uh, another one, the employer birth control mandate. You know, Donald Trump uh, announced that it would allow almost any employer to claim a moral or religious exemption to the birth control mandate that had been put forward under the Obama administration. Uh, they, they issued two interim rules to allow for more flexibility with employer exemptions, making it far easier for companies to avoid providing employees with no-cost birth control than under Obama. Uh, he has, you know, reshaped federal prosecution guidelines. You know, he's used the uh, position of attorney general in the Department of Justice as his own personal uh, legal team to, you know, undo a lot of the protections and, and policies that had put, been put in place. Uh, he has, you know, eviscerated transgender worker protections. Uh, he uh, rescinded campus sexual assault guidelines where, you know, the, the Department of Education more stringently required, you know, college campuses and schools to investigate and, and prosecute uh, campus sexual assault crimes uh, in this country. Uh, he, you know, in, in, in a similar approach, he has uh, ended the Obama-era guidelines that mandated protections for transgender students in public schools. Uh, and, you know, and one that's come up recently in discussion, uh, he rescinded uh, orders that were put in place by, again, President Obama on uh, restricting or reducing the amount of military-grade uh, weapons and equipment that are issued to police departments. And, you know, one need look no further than the responses by police to the protests that have been happening uh, in, in light of the George Floyd murder to see, you know, how that equipment is being played out. Uh, he also, and another uh, transgender-based uh, initiative, he repealed the, trans, the protections in the military for transgender troops. Uh, he, you know, he's just done a tremendous number of things, you know, private prisons, uh, you know, a, a gag rule rescission on uh, Mexico City Accords, um, you know, about health assistance. He's also eviscerated many environmental uh, agencies you know, including the EPA and the uh, you know, water pollution regulations. Uh, he's also uh, returned and or rescinded rather uh, provisions on school lunches, which, you know, affects the, the middle America uh, portion of the population, which by the way is largely Republican, 
as well as the you know people of color and and uh, most vulnerable of us. Um, and you know he also uh, rescinded some elements of the Title X funding, which uh, is a law that gives uh, states the ability to fund organizations that do uh, you know Planned Parenthood counseling or, bir or or birth control counseling as well as perform abortions. So you know he, he has undone a lot of the protections that affected you know poor and minority constituents in this country, but also to a larger extent affect you know those constituents in you know his base states. You know if, if you look at you know Kentucky for example. Kentucky ranks near the bottom in just about every category uh, in terms of aid to you know, poor and disenfranchised people, education aid, medical health care, you know, all of those elements, all you know, spearheaded through the efforts of President Donald Trump. So that kind of lays the background for why you know, this, this election is so very important. And you know, the idea that, you know, a group of us uh, would uh, literally remove our votes from play, you know, and hold them hostage really is, you know, a, a tactically, you know, weak position for us to take. Uh, we are not, as I said, we are not in anywhere near the numbers we need to be, you know, in the Democratic Party, in the elected official counts and all of that to where you know holding our vote up to achieve you know ends that we believe are right and just uh, really is a a positive beneficial thing while i applaud the the concept while i applaud the energy that's being put forward in it uh, i do have to say that we are just not at that point in time yet where we actually can take our vote and say if you do not do x we are not going to vote for you. Now, that's a great tactic when we're dealing, you know, with especially, you know, our, our senators, our Congress people, our local elected officials, where we can, you know, say, look, if you're not going to do this, you know, we're going to show you the door. We're going to get you replaced with a candidate who thinks more like we think. That's in line with a strategy of empowerment that we need to follow. So, you know, to, to Diddy and to Ice Cube and Charlemagne and all the others, as I said, I applaud your, your idea. I think, you know, there is merit to it, but I just think it is premature at this time to take that tactical step to withhold our vote. Again, you know, if, if we look back at 2016, you know, somewhere between 60 and 100 million people stayed away from the polls because they didn't like either of the two candidates at the top of the ticket. And as a result, it ended up being a, a favorable vote for the Republican Party and, and got us you know, where we are right now. So that being said, uh, let me go back and, and kind of cover the high points, as I mentioned, on you know, Joe Biden's uh, plan for African Americans. And again, as I said, it, it, it has some key points that are good starting points. Uh, you know, it, it is worth giving note 
that you know that that uh, Vice President Biden has put forth the the energy effort and details in the points that he raises. Um, you know, there are some more things that could be added, though. You know, there are some additional points that you know could be called for as as part of a a so-called black agenda uh, in this country. You know, one of them, you know, and he mentions talking about education reform. You know, one of the things that I think needs to be looked at and and is a strategy that you know more effort should be put into investigating is really looking at the infrastructure of our schools uh, more so or or with equal weight to the effort we put in moving students around to balance the racial profiles of schooling systems in this country uh, you know we spend you know millions upon millions upon millions of dollars each year transporting students you know across town here and there and everywhere just so we can balance out the racial equation in the schools when it could be more cost effective to really look at the infrastructure and the quality of educational materials that are present in the schools including you know uh, teacher salaries and paying teachers what they are truly worth in the marketplace um, but you know if if all schools had adequate internet access had up-to-date books had a sufficient supply of materials uh, that the teachers could use to teach the lessons you know had all of these elements in place no matter where a student attended the education should be balanced across the entire you know playing field so that everybody is receiving the same amount of education and quality of education regardless of whether they attend a school in their neighborhood or if they are bused across town or, or out of the county or wherever to to attend a quote better close quote school uh, that I think is an idea that has not received a lot of attention but is something that we do need to you know have a discussion with and again this goes back uh, to be truthful this is in part a federal level program in that the Department of Education would have to advocate and sign off on it but the actual you know place where the rubber meets the road is our local elections your school boards you know your your superintendents of schools your mayor your city councils those are the people that control the agenda and what happens in the school system in your local community so all the more reason why we must make sure that you know we are voting that we are conveying our message particularly to the down ballot segment the other point i think we could we could uh, advocate for and you know the response to the the coronavirus covid-19 pandemic has given us an insight into this is that you know there is an infrastructure that can be put in place to improve increase and strengthen the homeschooling or the curriculums used for an online, you know, K through 12 education system. We put together an education plan uh, for our students when schools were closed and, you know, we were all quarantined at home and that plan can be carried forward to become part of the everyday operation of our school departments. And uh, Betsy DeVos, are you listening out there? This is something that you should be uh, right at the, the tip of the spear on uh, rather than you know sitting on your hands and being silent so you know those those two things you know and and the Biden agenda are out there 
they are important they are viable they are things that we need to communicate to our elected officials through our voting process so you know the idea that you know staying home and holding your vote quote hostage close quote while you know a as i said a a laudable strategy for the future that is not something that we need to do right now and, and again i think we need to have every hand on deck we need to make sure that you know number one you know if you are not a supporter of this president that you're doing everything you can to change that regime at the federal level to make it more reflective of who the american people are in whole not just this base group or that uh you know political group or that ideological group you know we we are a country of individuals but we come together as one when it's time to elect our officials so you know that that's you know rant number one and you know so you know to the republican friends and the independents out there who who are you know uh, supporters of the administration y'all can come back in the room now because we we're we're going to talk about a more broad uh spectrum of things that that are going on that affect all of us uh and you know the, the first one i want to talk about uh, again you know the we are in an era now where coronavirus covid19 is woven into every discussion that we have this disease has you know as i said before not only exposed some of the the weaknesses and and areas of our governmental structure that need work but also areas of our economic structure that need attention of our healthcare systems where you know we were not prepared and you know you can you can lay blame where you want to lay blame but at the end of the day the bottom line is this pandemic hit at the beginning of the year we were not prepared to to address it uh for whatever reason and we've talked about the reasons before so i won't go back through them but you know here we are sitting at just under literally just under 110,000 american lives that have been lost due to this virus and you know study have shown that had the united states responded earlier had we responded in january had we had you know plans in place and actions ongoing in february and into march as many as as you know 50 or 60,000 people that have died might not have died if we were prepared to take care of them so you know there was a massive failure of our health system in being prepared to respond now you know that being said kudos and shout outs need to go to our healthcare system first responders for the yeoman work they have done to make up the ground to to take care of people to the best the absolute best of their ability they have done you know just tremendous work with limited resources and you know have saved lives there's no doubt about that and and don't let anybody tell you differently however you know we could have done better at the end of the day when history looks back at this they're going to ask the questions on why we didn't do you know x or why we didn't do y and and we could have done better and they'll be absolutely right you know had had we had the adequate resources in place you know our response could have been quicker resources could have been distributed more effectively you know there are are things going on in the system where people are taking advantage 
of the, the urgency and you know bilking the system of millions of dollars for less than adequate equipment there have been news articles about this over the last couple of weeks um, and, and again this like the education component this is primarily a local response option so you know voting in your local levels absolutely impacts how our country uh, responds and and how we uh, you know, handle future pandemics that occur. I think the, le the number one lesson that we learn is that we always need to be thinking about a worst case scenario uh, in our preparation so that we are prepared to handle anything that comes along. And let's be clear, you know, the first role of government is to protect its people. And, you know, it can be clearly said that this government has not lived up to that requirement, uh, whether it's the you know not accepting the the pandemic playbook handed over from the previous administration, or removing the leadership of the segment of government that specifically deals with pandemics, uh, thinking that it, you know it's not necessary, or you know any of the actions that have been taken. Uh, to to impose restrictions or penalties, you know the the current administration has you know put forward proposals to you know limit or eliminate liability for misactions by the states in responding to the pandemic. They have you know have resisted uh, many efforts you know put forward you know by the states and by elements of the federal government itself to address the pandemic. They have, you know, continually downplayed or minimized the, the reports from the medical and scientific community uh, on the spread of the disease and how it's controlled and the, the things that need to be done in order to bring this pandemic under control. You know, keep in mind, you know, this is, this is not a one and done thing. You know, we are going to be uh, presented with COVID-19, much like we are presented with the, the more common versions of the flu each year going forward. You know, there's already talk of a, a spike in cases uh, or a resurgence of the, the epidemic, you know, this fall and into early winter. You know, when you add that to the fact that now that the states have you know, basically to some extent or another reopened that people are now out and about and, you know, are, are gathering. Never mind the fact that you have thousands of people gathering together in protests, you know, rec in recent weeks over the, the George Floyd uh, incident. And you, you can see where, you know, COVID-19 uh, may have been on the retreat, but it is going to come roaring back. Uh, and, you know, I, I saw some news articles that were talking about the, you know, infection rates, you know, across the country. And, you know, while it's true that in the initial hotspot areas, you know, Los Angeles, Washington State, New York, you know, uh, New Orleans, etc., uh, those areas have seen a leveling off and even a decrease in the number of cases other areas of the country, particularly more through the central part of the United States and, you know, more uh, rural, less urban, and less urbanly dense 
population centers, those areas, the infection rates and the death rates are still climbing. In fact, to a large part, they are driving the number of, of new cases and the number of deaths that are occurring on a daily basis uh, coming out of places like Iowa and like Ohio and, you know, and like Utah and other you know, less populated states. But what we're seeing and what we will likely continue to see is that people who have traveled to areas, you know, we saw it with the you know, opening of the beaches two weeks ago or three weeks ago in some states, and just thousands of people were gathered together, clustered together, not practicing social distancing, not wearing masks, and we are actually ha uh, able now to see the impacts of those in other areas from people who travel to those, those party areas and then travel back to their home states. As we get more advanced and, and experienced in so-called so uh, you know, contact tracing, that is identifying you know, where people may have become infected, who are around them, and tracing them back to where they most likely you know, incurred the disease, uh, we are going to see an increase in the number of cases. Now, it, it may not mirror what we saw in the initial run-up of the pandemic, but it does mean that this disease is not necessarily uh, going to fall into a, a controlled status. Uh, rather, it is, it is going to be a series of up and down spikes as people disregard you know, common sense and rules and regulations put in place to keep the public safe. As those get disregarded, you know, we're going to see more and more people that get infected with this disease. So it, it is going to be part of our daily living for a long time to come. You know, on the, on the positive side, uh, there were some news articles that came out in the past week that there are, as of you know, right now, something in the tune of 130 plus vaccines that are in you know, some stage of development, testing, trials, you know, and, and approval so that, you know, vaccines are coming, but, and this is a big but, they are not going to be available in anywhere near the number of doses that are needed to effectively treat not only our country, but the world uh, against this disease for at least, you know, six months to a year at best. And, you know, when, when we're saying that, realize that we can develop a vaccine test it in small groups, you know, and determine what the best course of strategy is in using it. But then companies have to produce hundreds of millions. And in some cases, I've seen reports where companies are looking at producing billions with a B of doses of this vaccine for distribution around the world. That's going to take time. So, you know, we need to make sure that while we wait for you know these vaccines to come out, and you know we then start to take the the strategy each year as we do with the flu of getting you know a flu shot and a COVID shot you know each year to to increase your immunity to these illnesses. We're going to have to wait for that to come. We're going to need to be patient until it does, and we're going to need to practice you know the the best practices that we have at hand. You know, and that includes staying distant from people, avoiding large groups, wearing masks, 
you know, washing our hands, doing the things that we have heard, you know, over the last three months that we absolutely must do, those are going to need to become part of our daily routine in order to keep us safe from this disease. As I've said in previous shows, we have, you know, an immunity of a certain type to the flu, primarily because so many of us, you know, in this country and around the world have had the flu. Once you have it, your body develops the antibodies and the immunities which lessen the severity or keep you from getting the flu each year. You know, we are not there yet with COVID-19, and that's going to take time. You know, scientific and medical experts are telling us that 60 to 70 percent of the population will need to have been infected at some level or another in order for that herd immunity to take hold and the, the number of people to whom the disease can spread will reduce because people will be immune to it. So we've got to be prepared to, to dig in and make sure that we are uh, doing what we need to do in order to protect ourselves from this disease. All right, so let, let's stop here. Let's take a break. When we come back on the other side, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some more about the, the vote and the upcoming election. And we've got some other topics. You're listening to Fired Up Radio. This is Steve. We'll be right back after the break right here on WJMSRadio.com. That you are to me on the telly See me go nowhere Your name is Big Brother You say that you're tired of me protesting Children dying every day But I can't wait to see your face inside my door Your name is Big Brother You say that you got me all in your notebook Writing it down every day Your name is I'll see your you name is I'll see you I'll change if you vote me in as a prince As a ten of your soul Someday I will move on my feet to the other side. 
My name is secluded We live in a house the size of a matchbox Roaches live with us wall-to-wall You've killed all our leaders To you, you cause your own country to fall. Welcome back. Welcome back to Fired Up. This is Steve. I'm your host each week right here on WJMSRadio.com. Picking up where we left off, we were talking about uh, the issue of votes and voting in the upcoming election in light of all the changes that have been going on. And I wanted to follow up on that with a couple of segments that uh, came out of some research I did this week. And one of them was an article that was uh, published in Politico, specifically in Politico.com. And it talked about a disillusionment of young uh, black voters uh, with the voting process and how that could impact Joe Biden in his presidential bid. And uh, the, the, the basics of it uh, go back to in January, where Black Lives Matter commissioned eight focus groups of young black voters in swing states uh, to drill down into the problem for Democrats since Barack Obama left office, specifically why they weren't excited to vote. Uh, and they quoted a black man from Philadelphia who told one of the pollsters that his mother and grandfather had voted over the years and all of them, quote, got nothing, so why should I per- participate in the same process? And you know the, the answer to that specific question is quite simple because in order for change to happen, you have to make that change happen. And the way we make that change happen is we vote. We get out, we you know, vote in our local elections to impact and influence our local elected officials. And then every four years, we vote in the national elections to impact the direction and scope of how this country moves forward. These focus groups, according to Black Lives Matter, were conducted before the, the impacts of the pandemic Uh, had struck the country and also uh, before the unrest that has uh, swept over us in the aftermath of the George Floyd killing. It is a a report on, you know, what the underlying uh, thinking is, particularly among uh, young black voters and how they view our political system, how they view the responses that come out of our government you know, as a result of the people who are elected into office. And, you know, even though many are, you know, participating in the protests that are happening, you know, around the country uh, over the last two weeks and, you know, engaging and and making sure that their voices are uh, being lifted up, in, in response to the actions that have been taken, not just in the George Floyd case, let, let's be clear, but, you know, deaths of, you know, young black males and Latino males and, and people of color and poor people and even, you know, white people at the hands of law enforcement in this country has been a problem for many, 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 many years. 
uh, interesting fact, I was looking back and since 2015, there have been more than a thousand deaths of you know, young black people, male and female, uh, at the hands of law enforcement in this country. And as I said, this is not a new thing. Uh, as I was doing my research, I came across and, and really had, had kind of slipped my mind that more than 50 years ago, in fact, 50 years ago this past May, uh, the United States, uh, the National Guard in uh, Kansas uh, was called in to the campus of Kent State University to address and handle a protest against the Vietnam War that was being you know, led by students of Kent State and others. And during the course of this, uh, you know, the for, for some reason, an order was given or misunderstood. In, in the end result, uh, the National Guard opened fire on the crowd and uh, four people were killed and 21 others were injured uh, as the National Guard fired live rounds into the protesting crowd. Now, you know, we haven't seen you know, an, an incident of that magnitude since. However, as we look back at the, the current events, we see that you know police are are being you know aggressive in many cases with protesters. Uh, granted, there have been you know some burning, some looting, you know, and some law breaking going on, and and so law enforcement was called upon to act. Uh, but you know, as we saw in the handling of the George Floyd case and in others, including you know there's there's video going around now of a 75 year old man who was shoved to the ground. Uh, in Buffalo, New York, and you know, ended up injuring, you know, getting a head injury and bleeding from his ear as the police officers continued to walk by. That case still under investigation. More information will come out uh, with that over the coming days, I have no doubt. Um, but getting back to the article, uh, Democrats are urging African Americans to channel their frustrations into voting. Uh, but, you know, for younger voters, uh, many of whom are protesting, uh, they believe that you know, voting and the results of voting have done little for them or their families. Uh, and you know, this is obviously creating a struggle for the Democratic Party in particular, and Joe Biden specifically, to, to motivate and encourage uh, the support that he needs in order to gain the presidency, but also, again, reminding you of the down ballot, you know, this also has impacts at your local level as well. Um, you know, the, the protests are being called an opportunity to reconnect and re-engage uh, this cynical and disillusioned segment of the electorate. And, you know, as a way for people, you know, in the Democratic Party to reach out uh, and, you know, encourage and, and, you know, get black people in general and young black people in particular to, to exercise their vote in order to make their voices heard. Uh, it is it is vitally important that you know we let our elected officials know what we want them to do. Um, you know, it, in, it, is Biden going to win a large majority of the black vote? Uh, that's a fairly safe bet. You know, as I said in the earlier segment, uh, Donald Trump and the Republicans have done little uh, over the course of you know his tenure as president to encourage support or reward the participation of people of color in the electoral process. 
However, it remains to be seen if that uh, encouragement is going to show results in November uh, as the president seeks re-election. The, the betting <laughs> is hot and heavy as to how the election is going to turn out, depending upon which polling source or news source you listen to. Uh, some are putting his chances at good, some are putting his chances at not good at being re-elected. Uh, we'll dissect that as we get closer to the election in November, but that is you know, definitely something that we will you know, be talking about. You know, and, and the key, you know, as always, as it's been in the last uh, you know, six or seven presidential election cycles, isn't with the country as a whole, it's with these so-called swing states. Uh, the country right now is so divided that the, the ultimate result, and look at 2016 to see this in play, uh, is you know, down to a handful of key states that end up swinging the balance of electoral votes one way or the other. You know, as we recall in 2016, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by more than 3 million votes, but lost the electoral college uh, rather significantly. So, you know, the, the electoral system, you know, has some systemic flaws. There is no argument about that. Uh, there's also discussions going on about, you know, what to do about the electoral college with some, some schools of thought being the electoral college should be eliminated and the vote should be done on a popular vote basis, as it's done in many other countries around the world, that he or she who gets the most votes wins. Uh, and, and there's merit to that. Uh, but the Electoral College was put in place to balance out the most populous states against the smaller states or the least uh, or less populous states so that everybody you know, gets, quote, a fair shot, close quote, at participating in the election of the, uh, the president. Um, one of the things in the, in the political article, they cite a Monmouth University poll uh, which found that, that Biden was winning voters under 35 years of age by 25 percentage points, but only a third of young voters viewed Biden favorably versus 59 percent who viewed him unfavorably. So, I mean, there's an issue there that Biden needs to overcome and, you know, and find you know, ways to get his message out to young people of color who are, are of voting age or who are going to vote in November. Uh, in order to make sure and assure that he you know, becomes the president of the United States. I mean, it's clear that you know, the Democrats don't want Trump to win. But the question is, can you convince young black voters and young people of color voters that they want Biden to win? That's the difference you know, between not wanting Trump and wanting Biden. It rings back to what we had in 2016. You know, many people said they did not vote because uh, they, they did not like Hillary Clinton and they did not like Donald Trump, so they stayed home. And, you know, it, it's been proven time and again, uh, particularly in, in democratic politics, that if a significant percentage of the electorate stays home, then the opposing party wins, you know, regardless, because, you know, they, they, the, the vote count swings in favor of the opposite party. You know, and you know, I, I've done shows on this in the past where we've looked at and broken down the electorate, and you know, the bottom line is that based on the 2016 election data, uh, of the you know 180, 190 million people who cast ballots, uh, the Democrat and Republican sides 
are about statistically even at about 28% each. Now, the, the large block of votes is in uh, what is classified as independent. So this includes you know, those who register specifically as independent and all other political parties rolled into one, but they represent 41% of the, the electoral vote, again, based on that 180 million uh, total voter count. Now, you know, it's how Biden, or in that's this case, how the Republicans can swing you know, that, that independent block or a significant portion of that independent block to vote along with their base in order to secure the election for their candidate remains to be seen. But the fact that there is such a significant portion of young black voters, uh, specifically and people of color voting in general, that still do not see Joe Biden as you know, their guy, uh, it remains a problem. You know, we saw this manifest in, you know, the the upset with the supporters of Bernie Sanders, uh, who, you know, were were not happy with the fact that, A, he dropped out of the race because uh, he was not uh, on a clear path to victory, that is, to get the 1,991 votes he needs. Uh, but, you know, the, the way that that potentially could translate into a loss of votes on the Democratic side is very worrisome. You know, and, and it is clear, if, if you are opposed to this president and the administration in place, that it, every possible vote that we can get out needs to be done. Need, we need to get those votes in. The numbers need to be there in order to swing the Electoral College uh, in the direction that we want, as well as the popular vote to give the incoming president a so-called mandate. And that mandate is that the overwhelming majority of the people supported him or her. Um, you know, so the, this, this whole thing, you know, we, we are seeing all of this, you know, the, the natural uh, friction and games and rhetoric and, and all of the things that go into a national election combined with the, the, the effects of the coronavirus pandemic and you know the fact that our economy has suffered a a great hit uh, from that and that 40 million people are unemployed right now and there's a lot of unrest combine that with the unrest that has surfaced in the wake of george floyd's murder and you know you you have this perfect storm for you know a a democratic landslide victory if and this is an important if if the voters carry that energy out to the polls, you know, and, you know, when we get into the call to action segment, we'll talk about, you know, the specific strategies we use to, to accomplish the vote, you know, whether you're Republican or Democrat. But suffice to say for now, for Democrats, they need to get every person eligible to vote out to the polls and casting that ballot. And, you know, as I said, you know, as important as it is at the federal level, it's equally, if not more important at the local level. And one thing that the coronavirus has taught us is that, you know, the action that deals with these major crises is, for the most part, a state level action. You know, it is it is spearheaded by governors. 
and by state legislatures and by local politicians and local legislature and you know boards and committees and and all of that at the local level more so than at the federal level the federal government provides you know an oversight and framework and so forth but where the rubber meets the road is what your governors are doing what your state senators and congress people are doing and what your local elected officials are doing that's where the impact to your everyday lives happens so having one segment of the population that is indicating that you know they they aren't going to vote because they don't like the candidate at the top of the ticket can be very problematic you know if we go into another crisis as we we are traversing now with covid and you know again keep in mind this is not a one and done covid is going to be back every you know all, all the scientific evidence points to the fact that we are going to see uh, coronavirus COVID-19 resurface in a cyclic way, you know, for, you know, years to come. Just like the flu does, we're going to have an outbreak. We're going to have, you know, local area spikes. We're going to have, you know, some, some impact of this illness, you know, in, in the spring and in the fall, you know, or, or whenever throughout the year in the coming years. This is going to become part of our new normal. So, you know, the, the fact that we need to make sure that the administration that we have in place is, is aware and able and action, action taking in order to address these issues as they come down the pike uh, is crucial. And the way we make that happen is by voting. So, you know, as much as I preach that, you know, we need to get out and vote the the recent facts really really highlight and illustrate that point that where we need to focus attention to is not just the national elections uh, it is the local elections so again we get to call to action we'll talk about some specific strategies on that phase um you know getting back to to biden and his problem with young black voters uh it, it comes down to you know messaging you know, he has put forward in his in his campaign a a program, you know, an agenda for, quote, black America, close quote. Uh, he needs to add and expand that to include and focus on things that are specific to voting age, young black Americans and, you know, Latinx Americans, you know, and, and so forth to make sure that these groups have a seat at the table. You know, as he moves into getting, you know, assuming he wins the election, he's going to need to establish a cabinet. That cabinet should reflect not only the racial demographic of, you know, the country, but it should also, to the best of its ability, reflect the age and gender uh, characteristics of our country as well. You know, he's going to need to, you know, outreach to the stakeholders in these various communities and make sure that he is addressing their needs with as much or equal weight as he is with the broader needs of the, the country. Um, you know, one of the criticisms that many have, including Democrats, have of Barack Obama was that he, quote, didn't do enough for black people, close quote. Now, you know, there are a, a, a dozen policies at least 
specifically that Obama put in place that dealt with the plight of African Americans in this country. Uh, that's argument for another day. Uh, but you know, going forward, you know, the 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 potential Biden administration must address the issues of all of its constituents, not just the ones that you know matter the most, contribute the most, or whatever. One of the problems that you know people cite with the current administration is that it is overly focused on you know the one percenters, the top most wealthy people in this country whether it's you know, tax cuts, whether it's economic support programs, whether it is you know, investment uh, rules and regulations that favor people who have you know, large sums of money, et cetera. You know, we are not a country of rich people only. We are a country of people of all economic uh, levels and we are all citizens of this country. So we all need to have that seat at the table. Now, you know, and, and it, it's funny, as I said at the top of the segment, how the COVID-19 pandemic and the, the death of George Floyd has sort of galvanized to the surface many of these problems in our democracy and, and in our country uh, by, by creating these pain points that show where, you know, we need to do better and where we have to do better. You know, as you look at, you know, what happened with George Floyd, for example, here was a man, 46 years old, who went into a, a deli uh, to purchase some, some items and, you know, gave the clerk a $20 bill. Now, it turns out that this $20 bill was counterfeit and, you know, the clerk called the police. The police responded they took Mr. Floyd into custody and the events that happened on that day all transpired. And you saw, uh, you know, the, the police arrest and handcuff Mr. Floyd and then proceed in taking him to the cruiser. He was wrestled to the ground and, you know, one officer uh, was there and had his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck, cutting off his air supply. He couldn't breathe and subsequently died from the injuries he received as, as a matter, of course, of his arrest. Uh, that, that is a, a quick snapshot of what's transpired, uh, but there's still some facts that aren't known. For example, you know, okay, he passed a, a fake $20 bill to the clerk uh, there's been nothing that has said that Mr. Floyd was in any way uh, a counterfeiter, that he was passing fake bills around everywhere. It could very well have been, you know, a, a pure uh, accident that he had this bill in his possession and, you know, not realizing that it's, you know, it's fake. And, you know, each of us, you know, we have very little way of, of knowing just you know, in, in the course of every day that, you know, the currency we carry in our pocket is genuine or not. Uh, while many large stores use, you know, the marking pens or electronic systems to verify whether or not bills are legit, um, most little, you know, bodegas and corner stores, they don't do that. So when, you know, a fake bill turns up, you know, it, it, it's happenstance more so than it is, it is by design. So, you know, the whole reason for, you know, calling the police and all of that 
uh, could just be a tragic set of circumstances where this bill you know, was part of the money that he had in his pocket and it was just by chance that he happened to hand it to this clerk and so on and so forth. Uh, and that, you know, combined with what we saw in terms of the handling of the incident by the police, served as a tipping point and, and galvanized the nation to the, the problem systemic with certain parts of the police department uh, or certain officers in the police department who, you know, abuse their authority and overstep their, the bounds of their powers in dealing with the public. Now, you know, obviously not all police officers are, you know, of the same, you know, ilk as the, the officer who uh, put his knee on the neck of Mr. Floyd. Uh, that goes without saying, you know, and, you know, we all know many officers out there who, you know, just do absolutely phenomenal and fantastic jobs, and we appreciate them looking out for us, uh, you know, and this, this falls clearly into the, the bad apples in the basket uh, philosophy. But, you know, that has served to focus attention, as these type of events do, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we've had many of them, you know, you, you go back through uh, the, the list of people, you know, just in the past few years, who have been been killed at the hands of the police, uh, including the young woman who was shot in her bed uh, by police uh, when they kicked the door in on a no-knock warrant, and her boyfriend or husband, you know, retrieved his weapon and opened fire, thinking someone was breaking in. They returned fire, and the girlfriend ended up dying uh, from uh, wounds she she suffered. You look back at, you know, the, the tragedy of Newtown, where 21 students, young students under the age of 10, were killed, uh, which sparked a, a heated discussion around gun control in this country. You look back at, you know, other events, you know, and, and things that have transpired uh, over the course of the decades. Go back through 1968, where Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King were assassinated on public television. You know, and that galvanized uh, a, a movement to strengthen civil rights laws in this country. You know, we have these events that serve as turning points, that serve as a focus moment to focus our attention onto, you know, an injustice or a problem in our country and, you know, just demand that action be taken. Now, the key point is, and the big takeaway from this is, and as we now progress through the, the George Floyd case, as we have progressed through others, is what do we do about it? What's our action? What steps are we going to take? Uh, you know, and you know, there are discussions handling you know, about how we handle this type of uh, action by our police departments around the country. And they run the gamut from civilian review boards to, you know, defunding the police uh, to reinstating the ban on the crossover of military-grade weapons and equipment to local police departments, uh, you know, community policing, you know, all levels of actions are on the table being discussed. And, you know, our role as voters and as citizens is to participate in those discussions to make sure that we communicate our feelings to our local elected officials. Because remember, 
Local police are local. They are not appointed, hired, or, or in any other way uh, selected by the federal government. They are a, a local arm of the, the government in your area. So, you know, if there is a problem that, you know, a, additional training or, you know, some mechanism of accountability, whether it's civilian review board, you know, or, you know, whatever else is out there, you know, that is done at our local level, and that is what we need to address locally. We need to make sure that we are communicating with our police departments, that we are having discussions about how they approach situations. We are having discussions with our local elected officials about holding police departments accountable, about addressing you know, grievances, how this occurs, what we need to have in place, and what police officers are going to be expected to, to uphold as a standard of performance and behavior. So there's a lot of work to do, and there are a lot of things that are out there that we need to do. But to, to circle back to the top of the, the, the segment, um, you know, the idea of, you know, again, not voting or addressing the disillusionment of some voters is something that we definitely need to address in, in more detail going forward. And kind of related to that, uh, I came across an article uh, that talked about uh, something uh, that, that seems to become something of a thing out there, and that is where an increasing number of Latinx uh, people are, you know, signing up as, as part of the Republican Party. And, you know, some people are arguing that, you know, that's, that is potential dilution of a vote on the Democratic side. Uh, I take the position that it's actually not a bad thing. Um, I believe that both parties need to be, you know, racially, gender, you know, all elements uh, diverse in their, in their makeup so that all, you know, the issues that affect communities can be brought to the table. If there is, you know, a, a, an extreme lack of, you know, the, the Latinx perspective on, in the Republican Party, Having more people, you know, in the party that reflect that demographic uh, can be a good thing because it can make sure that regardless of who is in power, that the discussion is being had, that the seats are at the table, and that a, a broader people of color coalition in, you know, Republican and Democratic political parties, um, you know, could offset the, the more tone-deaf elements of the party that tend to to propose legislation and programs and policies that we don't agree with. So, you know, it, it, it isn't a bad thing if, you know, minorities uh, are being represented uh, more in the Republican Party and more in the Democratic Party and so forth. Uh, it, it is a good thing uh, in that it brings that level of conversation to the table. So we'll keep an eye on that and we'll, we'll get you some numbers and stats as they become available and let you know. Uh, you know and and it, it is something that is, is creates some hope for the future. You know, creates a, a possible scenario where you know, we are all represented or around the table, whichever party is in power, and that is uh, invariably a good thing. 
All right, we'll break here, and when we come back, we're going to come back with our call to action segment. I have some specific things that I want to discuss in terms of how we address both the, the current events of the day, the Biden candidacy, coronavirus, COVID, George Floyd death in, 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 in his circumstance and in the broader picture, and all of it. So thank you for listening. You're listening to WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve. The show is called Fire It Up. I appreciate you sticking around for this extended uh, program as we cover just a range of topics. We'll be right back after this break.
everybody thinks we're wrong Mother, who are they to judge us? Mother, mother, simply call me sweet where I hang on. Mother, mother, this extended version of Fire It Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve. I'm thankful that you have stuck around with me for this uh, longer show than normal, Uh, but there was a whole lot of stuff to cover, and I wanted to get it all out in one shot rather than spread it across uh, multiple shows. So let's get into our call to action. We've got a lot to digest this week. Uh, First and foremost, you know, with the covid coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Now that the states are back open and people are flocking out, they've been cooped up for, you know, two months or two months to three months and all that pent up energy, they just need to get back out there. Uh, We need to make sure that we are being responsible, not only to our own health, but to the health of those around us, to our family, our friends and our community. So, you know, that means that, you know, we're back out in, you know, in social situations. Uh, We've got to keep, you know, our masks on. We've got to keep washing our hands frequently. And to the extent we can, we need to practice that, that distancing that keeps us from transmitting the disease from one person to another. Uh, It, you know, it is tempting to just be back out there and gather and, you know, congregate around. But just remember that, you know, one person can spread it to three people. Each of those three can spread it to three more. And that's how we return to the high case numbers and high death rates that, you know, we've seen happen in the last three months. So, you know, yes, get back out there, but let's make sure that we're being responsible. The second call to action in response to the efforts and the call by, you know, Sean Combs and Ice Cube and Charlemagne and others to hold the black vote hostage until a black agenda is put forward. Uh, again, you know, while it's a good idea in theory, in practice, we really are not in a position to you know reduce the number of voters that we send to the polls in any way shape or form so you know my advice would be that this becomes a discussion point for post-election to go back to the elected candidates all up and down the ticket and you know have them recognize how they got there you know who voted for them and then make sure that they are listening to what we need them to do on our behalf And in light of, you know, the need for a black agenda, you know, I invite you all to go to the Joe Biden 2020 website and look at the agenda that he's put forward. It's titled Lift Every Voice. Uh, Again, you know, it runs to about 35 pages, so it is a lengthy document. It is detailed. And, you know, he has put forward some very key elements to a national black agenda. Uh, There are some things that, you know, could be added to it, you know, education reform in terms of how our schools are equipped, how our teachers are paid, you know, how the the infrastructure of education can be improved in this country. 
what lessons can we learn from what we've had to go through for the last three months with you know so much homeschooling go, going on? Uh, does that indicate a technological path that we can follow to augment or enhance the education that our children are receiving? Some more things to dis discuss with your local elected officials, particularly your school boards, but also with your national politicians since federal funding uh, will likely be necessary to make that happen. In addition, and, and to tag into that, remember uh, your participation in the census, which is ongoing still, helps determine the amount of funding that comes back into your local communities based on the population. So if you haven't done so already, go to uh, you know, 2020census.gov. It takes about 10 minutes. Fill out the census, get it in so that we make sure that everyone in this country is being accurately counted uh, for you know, the appropriate distribution of federal dollars for schools and hospitals and roads and highways and all of the projects that the federal government does with us. Um, you know, and, and finally, you know, it is you know, critically important that we pay attention to what's happening in our communities with our police departments, to open up dialogues and discussions with our political leaders and with our police command staff and our, our you know, chiefs of police and mayors uh, to, to make sure that you know, our police are, are living up to the standards we expect. You know, they out there, yep, they have a tough, 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 tough job to do. But, you know, in, in some cases with what we've seen over the past weeks and months and years, uh, there are some levels of accountability that they are not hitting that we need them to hit. We need to make sure that, you know, incidents involving police uh, in injuries or, or deaths of civilians are thoroughly and, and fairly investigated. Now, whether that's a civilian review board or mandates uh, for you know state uh, justice officials to step in when need be, for federal officials to step in when need be, again, these are conversations that need to be held with our elected officials to make sure they understand what it is that we want them to do on our behalf. You know, we we cannot turn a blind eye to these incidents any longer. You know, too many people, thousands of people have died at the hands of the police uh, for reasons that are, you know, not fully fleshed out or are insufficiently investigated. Uh, this is something that is going to demand our attention through the elections coming up and beyond. Whichever administration is in place, we have to make sure that we are exercising our power over them so that they are responding in the way that we expect. You know, it, it is our country, it is not their country. They work for us, not the other way around. So, you know, as always, let's make sure that we are engaged. Let's make sure that we are informed and educated, that we find the facts, that we dig deeper, dig wider, and make sure that we are getting that job done so that we can tell them what their job needs to be. So, you know, those are our calls to action, you know, ongoing. Uh, I appreciate everybody's indulgence in this, you know, longer than normal show. Uh, I'm happy to, to be here each week and have these discussions with you. Uh, if you have questions or comments, please send them to the show email at ruFiredUp at yahoo.com. 
there will be some information and links to articles I cited that will come out in my Twitter feed, uh, which is uh, at RUFiredUp, and also will be on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash firedupradio. As always, I thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Please make sure that you stay safe out there, that you know you protect yourselves, make sure you're wearing your mask, keeping that, that required distance as venues open back up. You know, take that time and make sure that you're protecting yourself, your family, your loved ones, and your community. As always, we're here. If you need to reach out to us, reach out to us through the email, through the Facebook, or you know, through Twitter. And I will look forward to talking to you all again in seven days. Take care, everyone, and be safe. Wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation we can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we're already late.